Life is one long journey made up of many detours. Some are chosen and some are not, but they all teach us something along the way. Welcome to the Detour Podcast, where conversations about life detours and travel detours converge. It's one part human experience and one part travel experience, put together to teach and inspire us to take the detour and enjoy the wander. Hello there, wander women and men. Thank you for coming back. And if you're new, thank you for listening. I'm your host, Sheila Shinsky, and today we are chatting with Maureen Famiano, and she has got an extensive background that I think you'll find fascinating, and then a detour story that is equally interesting as well. So Maureen has been a broadcast media specialist for more than 30 years. You wouldn't believe it to look at her. I think she started at 10, but she began her career as a reporter in New York before moving into the news producer role. She moved to Florida to follow her news passion and oversaw newscasts, elections, and hurricane coverage. Her desire to share stories in a longer format led her to morning entertainment television. She was the executive producer of the nationally syndicated show Daytime on NBC WFLA and Great Day Live on WTSP and the CBS affiliate for nearly 10 years combined. She personally booked more than 15,000 interviews on those shows. She enjoyed profiling celebrities and local community leaders, animals, and special events. Community members with unique stories were a favorite of hers time and time again. And that's kind of like what we cover here too, those unique stories. Perhaps the biggest story of her career, however, was that her own health of her own health battle. In 2010, she was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer. It forced her to slow down during her aggressive treatment schedule, but it did not stop her. Needing to take some time to recover from the strenuous treatment cycle, including 12 rounds of chemo and a 28-day radiation period, she took some time off. You would need to, I think. (laughs) Then once it was over, she went right back to work. And so she's gonna tell us about that news history and background. She's gonna tell us about what she's doing now and the big part of her detour journey with colon cancer. So welcome, Maureen. Thank you for being here today. Thanks, Sheila. It's so nice to be here. Appreciate it. All right, well, let's jump in. We talked a lot about you, so let's get talking to you. So tell me about this extensive news background that you have. Like I said, you look very young, so I can't believe you've got more than 30 years experience, but you can prove it to me. Go ahead. (laughs) Uh, The check is in the mail, Sheila. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, so as a kid in school, I remember sophomore year of high school, I, you know, watched the news as everybody, you know, typically did. And I'm like, I love that. I love information. I love doing, I love whatever that could be. What is that? That's journalism. And I decided there I was the crazy one that I knew what I wanted to do in high school. And I, and I did it. Yeah. <laughs> I followed that, that desire, figured out what it was, and then followed that. Uh, I went to school in Ithaca in New York, uh, studied broadcasting, had four internships in college. I wanted to learn as much as I could to be able to go and do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I loved meeting people, telling stories, doing the interviews, collecting all the information. Uh, I just loved it. I loved working with people, meeting people. Uh, and, and, and again, it goes back to storytelling, telling the stories. Kind of you're talking here detours. Everybody has a story. I saw that time and time again in my in, in my career and what I still do. And I just love that. I just love that. It It is definitely um, a trait that you need to have that curiosity and that, um, I would say, empathy um, and, and being a good listener. 
um, to be able to get those good stories. You can kind of, I think we all sort of can watch an interview sometimes and know if the person is just in it and hearing it because, all right, on to the next thing, or if they really care. And I can tell just in the short time that I've met you that you care a lot about people. So um, I can imagine that you are great at that. Oh, that's very kind. Uh, I don't know. I just, I like... I like listening to people and I think I am a good listener. I think you have to be in this field. Uh, You can't have such an agenda that you just have to check things off your list. You have to, especially if, and I covered so many stories of, you know, military people and, you know, they're not coming home and having to go to the, uh, having to go and knock on the doors of the family members and, you know, get the reaction for the story, for the news. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. really? So then it's turning that terrible tragedy into... Tell us nuggets of mm-hmm. your of your son or daughter's life that that people don't know. Let's let's raise them up. Let's lift them up. Let's do a story differently than just the sad story. And because I sometimes would go to it with a different angle, I would get a different story. And that was important to me, putting myself in their shoes, if I was to be on the other end of that. And, you know, news nowadays kind of gets, like, a bad rap. Like, lots of people just say, like, I don't even watch any the news anymore. It's so negative, and I just can't even stand to be around it. But I think what they do enjoy are those approaches, like you're talking about, where we can be encouraged and lifted up. And, and maybe, you know, we have to talk about this thing that's going on. Maybe hurricane duty, you know, like you said, hurricane coverage. There's always lots of hard stories within that. But when you see people say, hey, yeah, I've lost every single thing, but I have my family, you know, that makes you sit at home and say, ah, oh, you know, maybe, maybe I'll like my husband today. Maybe I should not take him for granted, you know? I think it's all about perspective. Mm-hmm. It truly is perspective on, on the story, the angle, the incident with hurricane coverage, you know, families, uh, communities lose everything, but you know what? People come together, even in the terrible world we're living in today, with all of this violence and you know the mass shootings. It's just unbelievable on so many levels. But to see people coming to help, you know, the the responders get through it, and how you help people get through it, and how you raise people up. It's that story of of versatility, of of helping people coming together, camaraderie. You know, that's what we need to to reflect on and and help teach our kids that. I think we've gotten so far removed from that, that we're so, you know, focused on the, the, the communication devices, the phones that we're not, we're, we're sort of not as human as we were and could Mm. be. And that's so, so sad, wrong, depressing that we need to get back to basics people. Yeah. I listen and share and care, like smile when you're walking to the store, not be on your device to figure out whatever, take a moment connect with somebody tell them you you know I like your shirt or I like your shoes you don't know if that's little moment of of light turns their day around and if everybody did that it's not that hard no it's it's a little tiny thing that that would make a huge huge difference and I think what's kind of sad is you know it makes me think about like the horrible tragedy of 9-11 um, and how scary that day was. I can remember, and we don't, you know, need to go into all of that. But everybody kind of knows if you've lived through that, what that felt like. And then, but then the next day, it was like people were wrapped around the buildings trying to give blood. And I wish that we could adopt that sense of community 
every day without the tragedies. I know. I wish that we could just live in that space, maybe to not that degree because it's probably not possible, you know, in a day-to-day basis, but to even just capture a tiny bit of that. Uh, I, and it's true, in tragedies, people do come together, but then it's fleeting. Mm-hmm. They get back to whatever they were doing before because in their lives and their lane, it's over. They did their part. Now they go on. They forget, which it's normalcy. Right. But they forget that, you know, those people lost loved ones mm-hmm. or there are people that are in the hospital still recovering or the military, uh, the, the uh, first responders rather, who responded who are going through some traumatic uh, flashbacks because they mm-hmm. saw what they saw. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important that while people do come to each other's aid in, in tragedies and in terrible situations, it doesn't just end when, when we think it's over because it continues on. So if everybody can adopt a little, what am I going to do to make a difference today mantra? Yeah. If everybody did a little something every day, like mm-hmm. make it part of your, you know, you go get coffee, you, you, know, you have your bottle of water, like do something good for people. If mm-hmm. everybody did that every day, holy cow. Yeah, there would be so much more love in the world. And dare I say, not so many tragedies, especially with things like these shootings. You know, sometimes you can't pinpoint why people do things. But often it's because they they have feel alone or rejected or or cast out or whatever. And and I don't know, there's just it's just always the better path to go the loving, caring route and we're all in this together you know we're we're the human race and we're in you know in this together and um it can only it can only improve things if we all try a little right it 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 wouldn't be that difficult if people you know and a lot of people do good things a lot of times Mm -hmm. we hear about the bad because we hear about the bad yeah but if if people could adopt it what a what a different place it would be Absolutely. Well, and I know that's part of the reason that you're here today. You want to share some information about your story, and we'll get to that so that um, you could help people from what you've been through um, with your health issues. Um, but let's let's talk about a couple fun things with um, because I don't always get somebody with your um, uh, experience that you know interviews celebrities and things like that. So could you just tell us maybe? Well, one first thing. What would be something you could share about what goes on behind the scenes that we might not know as a viewer about news production and, and that kind of thing? Well, I, I think 9-11, for example, that day, uh, President Bush was going to be in Sarasota that day. So we had done behind the scenes prep for at least a good two weeks. Where were we going to you know, send the reporters? Where were the crews going to be? Because that's a big deal anytime a president comes to town. Mm-hmm. So in that special day, you know, on 9-10, uh, we were doing all of these sorts of things. 2001, we were doing all those sorts of things leading up to the next day with the president coming to our community and all that goes into that. Uh, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. You know, as a news viewer, you just see what goes on the air. But there's a ton that goes on behind the scenes. On that particular day, 9-11, when all heck broke loose, it was total behind the scenes, trying to revamp all the coverage plans. Where was the president? What's happening? What do you mean towers are collapsing in New York? There was no comparison of a tower collapsing. What did that mean? What, mm-hmm. did, what does that mean? Yeah. What, you can't wrap your mind around it because it's such a new entity. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of preparation behind the scenes, a lot of sweating the small stuff, a lot of gathering, you know, second guessing people before it goes on. There's a lot of, lot, a lot, a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes. So people don't always know that. So that's a good takeaway, I think, for, for listeners and viewers of television. 
there's so much planning. There's so much planning. Well, yeah, I guess there would there would need to be, and it's a weird. I would. It sounds like a weird mix of a lot of planning, but then having to be very impromptu because you're reporting the news as it's happening. And for that scenario, um, I'm just refreshing my memory. The president was coming here to Florida, obviously before we knew 9/11 was going to happen, and and so he was in Florida when he was reading that story to the classroom and and got the whisper in his yeah. ear that this happened yeah. and that that happened in Florida. So you all were we had covering react. him doing that, like he's coming here and he's going to be reading to these kids, and now it's a whole it's a whole, different show. whole different thing. So there's planning, but then on the spot changes and we're very good I worked at WFLA at the time Uh, we're very good at the breaking news but typically a breaking news story is perhaps a you know a breaking one to two minute story and maybe a a secondary segment on it an hour later Mm -hmm. this you know was total change everything changed and then it was a matter of okay most people were assigned to something related to that uh, that presidential visit but then everybody was related. And then what stories do we need to tell? And then where was he going from Sarasota because he's now in Air Force One going to parts unknown. So what is exactly happening? And then the four different places of the the targeted, you know, tragedies mm-hmm. on 9-11. Just, it just kept going. It just kept building. So we just needed to react, 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 react. And for days we reacted. And there were, you know, all of a sudden... 12 to 15 hour shifts because we all needed to be there to cover the different angles. I remember I said, what are we going to do about the kids? Because the parents were glued to the TVs to figure out what is happening in our world now. I had a three month old and a two and almost half year old. What did I bring my children into? Mm -hmm. What are we doing? What are we going to teach our kids to help them understand? We're trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. What do the teachers help the kids understand? Like mom and dad are acting a little shell shocked. Like Mm -hmm. they can even say that word. Mm-hmm. So how do we do that? Just so many different angles came out of that. People helping people, um, you know, the military, you know, bringing all the planes all down concepts. all yeah. over the country because who knew what else was going to happen? Yeah, and so then all these things, things are popping. I, I mean, I remember that day. So what, it was it was very paralyzing. Just and I, my kids were one was home with me starting preschool the other two had been I just went and I was like I just I just need my kids with me I got them I'm like I don't I just need to be home with my family I'm like I called my husband like please like can you leave work you know he's like I can't leave work I'm like please leave work I just like I don't even know I just wanted to be in my house with my family and it was unknown hitting our soil that way hitting us targeting us whatever it was we didn't know we didn't understand fully you know it was just I mean horrible on so many levels it was just a day that that no one will forget and I just this is a little sidetrack but I just recently um, was um, listening to something about generations yeah you know understanding Gen X and Millennials and and everything and that this new generation is called Gen Z and they are the first generation they're about 21 years old and they don't remember 9-11 like they don't have any personal recollection because they would have been two three you know or not born yet and that's just well I think I think and I'm not going to go one way but I think what's important is that people don't forget and Mm -hmm. I know every year after 2001 I would ask my kids when they were in school 
what happened today on mm -hmm. 9-11 because I wanted to know what was being taught, what remembrances happened, did they do the moment of silence, did they not? And, and the more educators that I speak to in, in recent years and months and weeks, they say less and less, yeah. which is so disappointing to mm -hmm. me because um, that's a shame. Yeah. That's a shame. We cannot, there are families still suffering. There are, mm -hmm. there are legions of families still suffering and um, we can't forget. Wow, it's so true. We got a little off topic on that, but I think that was really good stuff to get that perspective from behind the scenes and, and just everything that in some kind of huge new story like that, how you process that and how that you know comes to happen. So, all right, now, because that was so heavy, tell me one like um, good like uh, celebrity story or something. Okay, one of the most fun was uh, at daytime at WFLA, the NBC affiliate was when Jimmy Fallon was coming to town. So mm -hmm. he was taking over the Tonight Show and he did his NBC visits and I was helping out with the coverage and what we would do and you know how we could make it more fun and blah blah blah. So I'm like, what if when he comes to the show, we bring in some nocturnal, you know, late night animals from Bush <laughs> Gardens? Like that would be fun, right? <laughs> that's always I great. think that's cool. Well it was back and forth with the um the Jimmy Fallon people like, well, what are you going to bring in? And I don't know, even though he did animals. So I understand the back and forth. We finally got it to work. I was so excited we got it to work. I think it was an owl. I think it was like a skunk type thing. I don't even remember because here's the why. The thing that took precedent is my biggest fun memory is we brought in like a 30 foot python and I have a photo of it. It's hilarious. It took five people to hold the the, the huge snake, including the host, Jimmy Fallon, and two handlers on the end. It was crazy big. He was like, <laughs> I mean, if you could probably, you know, a big guy who goes to the gym a lot, arm, that was the size of the snake, oh. 30 feet. Oh, that my big. Lord. Huge, huge, huge. It was in a big crate, bringing it to the studio, and we brought it out. Like, it was the last thing we did with the animals because we built up to it. It was so fun. I was so like, yay, we're doing it, yay. Then all of a sudden, he's doing his funny bit with, with the snake and the python, and it was crazy. Okay, okay, we'll be right back after the break. So we go to commercial break. Everybody gets back in place um, to go to the next segment. Well, all of a sudden, the handlers are taking the snake back to his big uh, transport um, Dolly bin. Link bin, yeah. Oh, my goodness. All of a sudden, we hear this pipe bursting. It sounded like four milk cartons were like dumped all of a sudden on the floor of the studio. We're like, what is that? Everybody's not looking toward the direction anymore. And we turn around, we're like, oh my goodness. The snake went to the bathroom. Oh. On the floor. It waited for a commercial break, so it was paying attention. I'm joking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a little, it had but a very- But it sounded, it, it was sounded, that much? It was that loud, that <laughs> like, what just happened? What pipe burst? Oh, it was the snake's pipe burst all over the floor. <laughs> It was so hilarious because everybody's like, ah! It, you could all of a sudden start to smell the waft of smell. Oh no. Jimmy Fallon went right for our Purell container, put it in <laughs> yeah. his hands, put it under his nose. <laughs> I mean, it was so hilarious. I'm sure hilarious. he has some hilarious oh, remarks. It, in if it. you ever run into him, say, tell us about the Python story in, in daytime in, in NBC in Tampa, because he, he couldn't forget it. And, um, and it was not captured because we were. Oh no. Yeah. And it was, and it yeah. was, that was completely behind yeah. the scenes. Yeah. 
Not so, um, yeah, I have a now, picture of how, well, how did everybody recover at that commercial? Well, it was it, it's, it was live to tape, so it wasn't truly okay. live. So we had enough time to, like, get, recover. like, things and things in there to sop it all up and get the spray going and, like, regroup. <laughs> and holy cow, it was hilarious. But that was a funny behind the scenes that is, like, hilarious. And that's hilarious. not something I'm sure that you uh, thought was going to be no. in the job description. So you're going to interview celebrities. You'll have to do some right. uh, pre-production and uh, some arranging. And you might have to clean up uh, snake urine by the gallon. Right. No. Wasn't on the to-do list. But, uh, but yeah, it's a funny story, definitely. That, that is great. So well, funny. if I ever meet Jimmy Fallon, I'm going to remember that and ask him. Those are some of my most favorite segments. One of my, I like watching Jimmy Fallon and... One of my favorite ones is where he had animals with um, Kevin Hart, and that was the oh. most hilarious. Oh, yeah. Those are always oh. the best segments because right. people freak out. Right. Yeah, it's those so are always the best. And but. he was a really kind man, too. So good guy, easy to work with, really just what you hope he would be. He was. So was oh, really good. that's good yeah, to yeah. know. I like I like when I hear that, uh, you know, they say, like, don't right. – don't, <laughs> judge pe- you can't always judge people on on their persona and but I like when it matches up when I, with what they I think they are absolutely so. all right so tell tell us just a little bit in a nutshell about um what a lot of your you touched on some of them like your main duties in that job and what was your workload like um on a day-to-day that kind of uh led up to you delaying uh well we'll let you get into your story so you're talking about what was my workload like as yeah. an executive producer? Mm-hmm. So it was just basically, you know, for a live morning entertainment show, it wasn't, as you said earlier, the bad news. It mm-hmm. was the news you can use, the, you know, events in town, the people coming to town, and they have great stories to tell. It was the um, the little girl with a lemonade stand who wanted to help her friend who was sick, those sorts of stories. Oh. The 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 lovely stories, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you had longer time in a morning show to tell the stories. It wasn't the minute and a half that you have in a newscast. You have, you know, four minutes or so to tell a story. So that was great. Mm-hmm. So in a show like that on morning shows, it's the third hour of today or Good Morning America, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. It's those sorts of stories. Mm-hmm. So in our unit, um, as the executive producer, you know, we were all hands on deck to to book the stories, to greet the guests, to bring them out, to move things around, whatever we need to do to, do to make it work. If we had a big... Um, musical guests like David Foster came to town I found a baby grand piano to bring into the studio to have him be able to play I mean got to do all that stuff so it was just that constantly in each segment of each show would be about seven seven segments so seven guests or guest and friend and then their handlers okay. so it could be a day of you know seven to ten to twelve to fifteen people coming every day to the to the studios um, and sometimes more depending upon their handlers. So it was just that every day. And you don't book today for tomorrow. You book today for next, middle of next week because you want to be well ahead. Because right. there are graphics, there's people, there's things, there's, you know, what are you going to have? Visual, props, blah, 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 blah. And so it's all, and all that. that kind of yeah. when it actually comes time right. for it. Yeah, got it. Um, so at some point in your career, you're going along, you um, have got probably this life that a lot of us would think is just great um you know that you're you're doing your job and you're you've got this exciting uh position on helping tv happen and meeting celebrities and all these different things um and then you had a detour moment so tell us about that i did 
yeah, my days were always filled. I don't slow down very much. I, I just don't really have that in my, in my repertoire. <laughs> but I was starting to notice something. And I was like, what's that? I'm like, I'm sure it's nothing. I'm like, it's fine. And I was always too busy, so I didn't really pay attention. And then it kept being there and kept being there. I'm like, I don't know what that is. I'll get the kids in for their physicals, but I never go to the doctor because I'm never sick. I was, you know, would get like one sinus infection in a year. The doctor wouldn't really know who I was when I would go to get my, you know, whatever. But I'm like, I need to call. So I called and I said, hi, I know you don't really know who I am, but I think I need to come in because I don't know. I don't know. So I went in and basically what I was noticing, and this is the where to pay attention to part for anybody out there is I was noticing blood in my stool. Mm -hmm. So I live in an Italian family. My husband's Italian. So we eat, you know, the pasta's red sauce, the pizza's red sauce, you know, whatever. But we hadn't, I noticed intentionally that I hadn't served it for a day or two or three or whatever, but I was still noticing the blood in the stool. And I'm like, hmm, Mm -hmm. it shouldn't still be there necessarily if it's, not being eaten kind right. of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's why I made the appointment and they're like, oh, it could be a, a hemorrhoid or something, which I never had with my kids. So I'm like, okay, I don't even know what that is. I was lucky, but okay, let's figure it out. They couldn't figure it out. So I went for the colonoscopy mm-hmm. early. Mm-hmm. It wasn't to the point where as you hit a certain age, you should go in and get it. I was well beyond that, well before that age. Mm-hmm. So I went in and Houston, we have a problem. Oh no. So we did the colonoscopy and there it was. Mm-hmm. a three centimeter size tumor in my colon oh my goodness wait what hell what 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 yeah and I was put under so much that um that I couldn't wake up from the um Anest- putting me on from yeah. the anesthesia mm-hmm. so my poor mother who had taken me for this a procedure had to keep telling me over and over again yes they found something Yes, they found something because I I wasn't. It just wasn't com- computing for you. No, I yeah. wasn't. I wasn't able to get rid of the anesthesia, so I kept saying, "So what happened?" She's and so finally, <laughs> I was coming out of it, and I was understanding what she was telling me. Like, oh, that's not good. They showed. They sent me home with a picture, and I'm like, oh, that's not good. Whatever mm-hmm. that is, that's definitely not good. My husband was out of town. Oh, so, long, so your your husband was out of town when I went for the colonoscopy. I was okay. supposed to have it like in a week, but I yeah. had, we had to move it up because there was a, a little something that happened. Yeah. So long story short, I needed to schedule you know to see a surgeon. That was just a like a, a GI uh, doctor. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I won't elongate this, but I went to a surgeon who had to look at exactly what it was, and when they came back, they're like, yeah. And this was like maybe a week and a half after and they came back and they didn't know exactly where you were in the, in the, in the problem area, except they knew it was definitely a colon issue and we don't know if it's cancerous yet, but it it needs to come out and they did tests and stuff and I was back and forth between, okay, we need to do chemo to shrink it to then remove it or you need to do the surgery. So I was back and forth with all kinds of local facilities to figure out what 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 is the best course of treatment here right so other than this difference that you noticed when you would use the bathroom that was it you had no other that was no no other symptoms nothing and if I didn't look at it I would not have had any inkling of any problem and probably I waited a little too long Mm -hmm. to really pay attention to it because I'm fine I don't feel bad Right. Uh, There's no problem at all. I was never in any pain. And finally, it kept going for months Mm -hmm. that I finally said, Months, okay. Okay. Yeah, like, ah, maybe I should get this checked out. 
Yeah. yeah. So now you've, okay, you've got this initial um, surprise. Surprise, yeah. Um, and this, uh, we don't know if it's, pro- there's a problem, but we don't know if it's cancerous or if it's, if it's not. What was that next part like? And what were you, what was your mental state? Uh, there are you like okay we'll just were you still on that like task oriented yeah like okay what do we need to do let's take care of this one two three well when they came in I remember vividly when they came in to tell me having looked at what they found and then having to tell me exactly what we were dealing with it was a you know somebody I had never seen before so they come into the room my husband's now with me you know a week and a half later and I'm like okay really hmm really so he comes into the office because I don't you know you don't know what you're, you're going to hear or, or what the conversation's going to look like, that he came in and he wasn't really looking at me. He was looking past me. And I'm like, I'm turning around like, who are you looking for? Like, mm-hmm. I think they were thinking that they'd find the 80-year-old in the room with me because that would be the patient, not me, who looked oh. pretty normal and pretty vibrant and pretty all there and certainly couldn't be me. So he so asked like, me Somebody look. must be out of the room that right. is who we're really talking to. Right. Mm. Even though I was on the, you know on the table yeah um he probably thought maybe she just hopped up there because he he began with so you know a little bit of family history and a little bit of a lot of different questions and after all the answers to the questions i'm like what are you asking me these questions for are you yeah, going to tell me something like spit do out. i have yeah. something and then he finally said i'm sorry to say but yes you have cancer <gasps> my husband went flush I was like, what? Because I was sure, I don't know, it's not good, but I don't think it would be that because I, I'm not in pain. I don't hurt nothing except for that one thing that I saw. So I'm like, what, 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 what? Um, so it was a very mixed feeling, but probably leading up to that. But I know, because I would feel more if I was going to be diagnosed with cancer. Sure I would, surely mm-hmm. I would. Mm-hmm. So it was a a quick assessment of that and then what do I do next because it's not good it's big it's got to go but what are we dealing with because what are we dealing with so then I went into the way Maureen works is okay we got to fix it we got to figure it out a couple of different surgeon meetings to everybody had to give me different assessments of what my what my path should be my treatment plan should be and channel eight at the time was great my my uh, boss at the time um, was amazing and just very helpful and very supportive, which was just great. You you have a job that you love and, you know, uh, tasks that you have to work with, but you got to work about living, perhaps. Yeah, so, right. That health concerns, um, yeah, health concerns and, you know, death of someone, it's the great equalizer. It shuts everything down. Like, everything just stops yeah. um, until you can move forward. Yeah. Well... And did they? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Did they give you um, like a a stage or a diagnosis? Like, obviously saying you have cancer, but did they say anything else at that point? No, they just said that it had to come out. And there was one school of thought that it had to be removed right away, and then there was another school of thought that you should go through treatment, perhaps chemo, to shrink it, and then the removal of it by surgery. And I'm like, what? 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 Yeah. So I was just getting different assessments with local um, surgeons and local facilities that I was like, ah. So work was on a standby mode that I was likely going to go the shrink route to surgery, and that was what it was going to be. And I went to one final. I think I went to three different. I went to one final, and they're like, absolutely not. You need it out now. Mm-hmm. What? 
okay, the best prognosis, the best blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And my biggest fear too with all that was the kids. Yeah, so, so how old are your kids, kids at this were, point? Uh, a second grade and, no, third grade and like sixth grade. So one was about to go into middle school and the other was in elementary. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to be strong and not talk about it because I didn't know how to talk about it to let them know what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So we had to have the family, I remember vividly, we had to have the family sit down because it was going to change. I was going to not do the chemo, which they wouldn't have had to know about because they wouldn't have needed that. Mm-hmm. But now I was going to be in the hospital because I was going to do surgery and I didn't know how long I was going to be away. Mm-hmm. So I remember calling my kids. And my husband was, was there. And I'm like, hey, guys, we need to talk because something's going on with mom. And I remember friends even telling me when I went to the open houses later, they said, you are not yourself. Mm-hmm. They could tell because mm-hmm. I was very um, fixated. I wasn't fully there because I was trying yeah. to think, what was my plan? Where was right. I? And friends of mine said after we knew something was up because you mm-hmm. were not you. Mm-hmm. So in having this discussion with the kids, they they didn't really understand. I mean, they were little. right? And I'm like, so it's okay. Mm-hmm. I'll be away for a couple days. Mm-hmm. Dad will be here. My mom will be here. It'll be good. But um, just letting you know, this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. And it was so funny because afterwards they're like, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Oh my gosh, ignorance really is bliss. Like their 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 innocence, they don't know totally. what this even means, and they're no. like, "Can we have ice cream for dessert?" Right? You know? It was <laughs> just that. go on, yeah. Because I'm not really dramatic. I don't mm-hmm. really cry, so mm-hmm. I wasn't like, "Oh, woe is me!" Yeah. Oh my goodness, I wasn't that. So they were like, "Okay, cool." So we were going to play good. So afterwards, I was like, "Okay, that went over okay." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that was funny, and um, and yeah, so that's how I found out that way, and then had to go right to surgery, and then, um, yeah, so that was the first phase. So did they just um, remove what was there? Did you have to lose any part of your... Um... I did. I did. I had to lose part of my colon, and they re-put it back together, and it's basically, you know, the slice in your abdomen and yeah send you on your way well when you laugh when you get up when you do anything it's all there I was like <laughs> I slowed down I'm, I'm a pretty quick walker I'm a pretty energizer bunnyish. I was like okay walking getting the walking around my neighborhood when I got home from the hospital I was like oh this is fun I was like okay thank you lord um thank you for finding it thank you for letting me get through it okay uh I'm good now woohoo mm-hmm. I'm good so uh six weeks you go I think it was six weeks you go back for the checkup and um, just make sure everything's fine, the yeah. healing, la, la, la. Well, that's when I met with a surgeon. He's like, how you doing? And he called me superwoman because I was always really positive and just like, what are we going to do? And he's like, well, here's the deal. It was in your lymph nodes. <gasps> and that sends it into another situation. I'm like, what? Then I was sad. Wait, forget forgive my ignorance okay in their lymph nodes within your colon they took out they took out areas around the colon okay just to see if it had spread if it had not where was it was it uh contained there okay okay so during surgery they took out lymph nodes to determine that Mm -hmm. so when i went back that's when they said it has not been contained to just here and so now we have another issue we have a treatment suggestion because it wasn't just that. I'm like, what? That was my my biggest sadness because I was like, ah, oh, I thought I was brave. I thought I was strong. I thought I did it. Oh, 
So I could have done, you know, nothing. I could have done a little bit, but I decided I'm going to do whatever I could do. I was, I was 45. Um, my kids are little, I have a lot to do still. So what do we do? So it was an aggressive regimen of both chemo and radiation. Mm. And, and what did that look like? That looked like going to, at the time, Moffitt mm-hmm. and getting a port and getting um, my chemo, you know, every two weeks. And how I set it up was going in on a Wednesday so I could still work through it because that's how I rolled. So you're back to work at this point. I'm back to work at this point, and then I have to go for the chemo. And, um, and I would go in for my infusion on a Wednesday afternoon, and then it would be a 48-hour drip. So I would wear a water bottle. Essentially, it would look like that, but it wasn't. It was a chemo pack mm-hmm. around my waist, and it would constantly infuse for 48 hours. So I would be at work on Thursday and Friday getting my infusion, Wearing like a little fanny pack kind Wearing of thing. Wearing a fanny pack look-alike with something attached that had the chemo in it. Wow. And I wasn't, you know, very out whatever about it. It was just, that's what I had to be. Mm-hmm. And then I'd go back into Moffitt at the end of my day on Wednesday, on Friday to get it removed. And by then, the chemo would make me a little bit more tired mm-hmm. because it, it, it you know, it was, it was, it was chemicals in your body. Yeah. I was going to ask you, did you have some of those reactions? I know some people can get very nauseous or, I mean, you can have different reactions. Did you have reactions? My reaction was, and it was like a a triple cocktail. It was like three, uh, uh, chemo mix. Um, I didn't eat a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, I, the metal in the mouth thing a little bit, but I, I had to have the nausea medicine when I went in for the four hour beginning on Wednesday when I had to have the four hour infusion before I would leave. Mm. Um, but it's funny in all of my, the 12 chemo rounds, I never, I never got sick once Oh, thank because God for I that. just didn't eat a lot. Okay. I lost quite a bit of weight. Mm. Um, but I still maintained, you know, decent energy, mm-hmm. but I never, I never got sick. Um, it slowed me down. Um, I know at times when you'd go in, um, they always take your white blood, white blood, white blood cell count to make mm-hmm. sure you're good to get the next one. Right. And each time as I was feeling maybe a little bit worse and a little bit worse, um, I'd be like, oh, I hope the numbers are okay. Cause I just wanted, the more you, you cross off your list, you know, mm-hmm. 12, 11, 10, yeah. you, know, you just yeah. want it done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you did six rounds and then I did the radiation in the middle of it. And then I did the ending rounds. So it was like, it was spread out. It lasted all in all about a year, all that wow. loveliness. Wow. I know the funny part when I would go to Moffitt, um, I would go in and I'd wear, you know, bright colored clothes and I'd be, you know, I wouldn't be mournful or Mm-hmm. sullen I would just be like okay we got to do this I got to do this mm-hmm. at first a, a couple friends offered to come in but I'm like I don't want you to just waste four hours of your day to come in to sit with me to talk no mm-hmm. so I'd go in by myself and different people would start talking to me in the waiting room or whatever and um and I talked to them about whatever and they would be like la 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 and then they'd look down and they'd see my medical armband as a patient they're like Ugh. they were so shocked that it was me so they just thought they were talking to some, maybe somebody who's with somebody else who's getting treatment. They didn't realize you were the patient. Yeah. And it was funny to see that a little bit each time that they were like, oh. And I, I sometimes would have to say when they had the like outwardly like reaction, like, oh, whoops. Yeah. I'm like, what does cancer look like? Right. There's no one that it looks like and it doesn't look like like 
who it doesn't matter it's anybody yeah um but they we develop little bonds and then they'd want to be next to me in the chemo chair when we go in <laughs> together because yeah. we could continue our conversations and somehow I I brought them a little lift or a spirit upgrade or if I was further along they'd be like oh can I talk to you about how you got through it I'm like of course we're all in this together mm-hmm. we're all in this together I remember mm-hmm. when I went to radiation too it was one of my first days and one of this other gentleman's last days I call it I would go in and get zapped and I would drive myself there to get zapped and then I'd go to work until it was that was more difficult for me because it totally made me very very fatigued which I am mm. not easy to be tired but yeah um I remember this one gentleman named Henry I can so vividly remember and he was having a hard day I remember and he was going in it was winding down of his like 28 day cycle mm-hmm. and I overheard the nurse saying how you doing Henry and he said okay he's like this is hard and then he went back to get ready and I said Henry, I'm pulling for you. Mm-hmm. I said, we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. And I said, good luck. And he was just like so happy somebody said something to him. And I'm like, mm-hmm. this is, we're all in it together. Mm-hmm. We're all here, not because we want to be. We're in this mm-hmm. big club together. But, um, you know, I kind of find that no matter what it is, and especially in these situations where nobody can really do anything to make it better, like you just have to endure and it stinks, you know. Sometimes the best thing that anybody can say is like, hey, I get it, and we're going to get through this, or I know how you feel, or I've been there, and you'll be okay, or, you know, and it's and it's tough in those kind of situations because, let's be honest, not everybody is okay, you know. Not everybody is healthy like you are today, and that's tough. And it, But it, it, it does, I have just found that no matter what subject that you're talking about, sometimes when you don't know what to say, um, just listening to the person or um, if you do have some direct connection to it saying like hey I've been there I know it this just really stinks doesn't it and like that's it you know <laughs> if you're right it doesn't have to be a long conversation it just has to be an acknowledgement yeah like this isn't fun but mm-hmm. you know what I'm praying for you or or I'm wishing you luck or mm-hmm. you can do it you can mm-hmm. do it um, just that little bit might be just enough to get you back there or, mm-hmm. or make you get through that next day. It's just, it's that. Yeah. And, and now on the other side, if I meet somebody and I always tell people, if you know somebody who's going down this situation, they can absolutely reach out to me because I do know I mm-hmm. have walked that walk. Mm-hmm. I have been there. I mm-hmm. do know it. It's not like somebody trying to be helpful, being super helpful, wanting to be helpful and trying to guess what it's like. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. Yeah, and you know what? People that haven't gone through, sometimes they just will say things that are the dumbest things to say, and they just don't, they don't know. Mean it. No, but, but you, it can just really like that was annoying. You should have never said that. You know, <laughs> of course you never say it. You know, but what would you? What do people um, need to know if somebody that they love? and care about is going through, um, you know, say a cancer scare or something like that. What, what would they need to know? What did you learn besides the, we're all in it together? What did you learn from this journey? I learned that people do want to help and they offer help. And depending upon who you are, you can take it or you can resist it. I resisted because I'm kind of my own person that I don't Mm -hmm. really need a whole lot of help Mm -hmm. I'm really independent and whatever well in doing that you uh, take away the ability to help of that other person 
mm-hmm. that's what I would say take that help mm-hmm. because you they're looking for some way to make a difference I know I've been trying to be a fixer in different situations before and if I can't cure the cancer what can I do I can provide meals I can provide you know carpool help for your kids I can um, whatever do you need groceries I can do that so if somebody offers to do something for you and you're in this terrible situation it's your it take a step back and let them help you mm-hmm you may not need it, but you know what? Why don't you need it? Like, why don't you need it? Like, mm-hmm. it might be okay that you need it. Not that you need it, but just take it. It's yeah. okay. And the reason I say that is the second time I had a complication just a couple years ago. And life changed. Mm-hmm. My first time around, I didn't need help. I got it, but I didn't need it. And my mother, especially at the time, what can I do? You know, wanting to come over and sit with me and I'm not good at sitting anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but she wanted to come over and sit, and she did, and, and that was fine. But I feel like I not brushed her off, but I didn't need her to be here. And it wasn't necessarily for me, but it was her way of trying to comfort me. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't letting her comfort me, her daughter. Mm-hmm. So shame on me. Didn't mean to be that way, but mm-hmm. shame on me to have taken that away from her. Because when I had my complication a couple of years ago, she was no longer with us. Mm. What I wouldn't have given for her to have said, what can I do? Or can, can I, I just sit, with, sit you? with you? Wow. Yeah. Sure you can. Yeah. And I know during that time, I um, I looked above and I said, hey, mom, I know you're here. Mm-hmm. I know you are. But um, that's what I would say. That's really um, good advice because... Um, when we are the type of personalities where we're very capable, very independent, and often we're the helpers and often we're the fixers. And so we don't want to, it's harder for us to receive that back. Um, And we don't want to bother anybody. Oh, no, I'm fine. You know, you have your own things to do. You don't need to worry about me. This is, I can handle it. I can handle it. And like you said, you can, you can handle a lot. You know, we can all handle a lot. But again, um, that's, that's tough because, um, like you said, sometimes you inadvertently rob somebody of the opportunity to bless Mm -hmm. you. And it's not like you're not trying to take that away from them. Right. No, it's not a conscious thing that you're trying to do, but that's what winds up helping or or happening. I mean, Yeah. And I know that's so tough, Maureen. It it is. And, um, and that's the biggest takeaway I have. And I would share with people, if people want to help, just accept it, just Mm -hmm. accept it because what's the, there's nothing that is bad from that. Mm -hmm. Um, because they want to help you. They want to support you. They want to love you. They want to lift you up. Mm -hmm. Why not? Why not? Yeah. Um, and then lending a hand and, and trying to help other people in a situation. I know we had a situation for me that I helped a neighbor um, who was going through a, a, a situation. And I began a meal train and I got involved and, you know, it was nothing mm-hmm. years before. Mm-hmm. Um, I just did it not to be nosy or get involved, but because I wanted to help. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, then what came back? when we needed it, my family needed it. Mm-hmm. It was just amazing. You do something for the pure play. And then that when people brought food for months and months, both times that I would remind my family every night, I couldn't eat. 
but doggone it. Oh my goodness, we were so blessed with family and friends and friends of friends, like bringing meals religiously every day. And it was a whole big chart of things. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? So every time they would bring the meals, I would remind my family how lucky we are. Mm-hmm. It's, how it's, lucky we were. It shows up in real life it, and it models to, especially if you've got children, you know, it models to your children. This is what we do when somebody, somebody needs this is what we this is what we do and this is what we're receiving because we're the ones and and it feels great to give uh it doesn't always feel as comfortable to receive but it that's a two it's giving and receiving right, right. <laughs> yeah and you don't and give receiving. to get right you give to give mm-hmm. and it, it, it makes you feel like you're doing something when yes. you don't know what else to yes. do and that just is nutrition it's sustenance it's just that's taken care of when you're healing and not able to do very much because you're 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 sick. Um, the thought of coming know, up with something meal, for dinner. Oh yeah. my goodness, that would that would have been terrible. So just the fact that it was it was taken care of. Oh my goodness, it was just amazing and awesome. And I so appreciate all the people that did that. Two rounds of stuff. I mean, it was just and in my family was so grateful, but it was just awesome. And I would write thank yous to people, and they're like, you don't have to write a thank you. I'm like, I do have to write a thank you. You're like, no, no, I do. Right. Yeah. So it's just that. So that would be my biggest takeaway. If somebody offers to help you, take it. Yeah. Take it. Because at some point in your life, you'll want it, you'll want it mm-hmm. and it may not be available. Mm. Mm. That's, uh, uh, that, that's like another layer of heartbreak on top of this, mm-hmm. of this story. You are looking great and fabulous now. Woo-hoo. You did allude that you had a, a, a second issue. Yeah. So where where are you at now? I'm good. My second issue was um, the cancer did not come back, but it was potentially going to. Okay. So I had to make a real-life decision about what that could mean. Mm-hmm. And basically what it meant was I'm colon-free right now. Oh, Okay. Um, I, I joke now that, um, you know, having a colon is, is overrated. Who needs to have a colon? <laughs> it's overrated. Okay. Um, now I'm intrigued. Yeah. <laughs> um, the colon was the vessel for cancer to come into my body. Okay. So although they had removed part of it, it was still going to come. It was starting to come back in the rest that was remaining. Mm. So when it, it came back after I had gone a number of times, you know, you get past that five year mark and you're like, I'm good. Yeah. Well, it wasn't necessarily the case in terms of not cancer, but, um, Marker the beginning of, yeah, the beginning of it and in a, with a vengeance. So I had to have my colon removed, which meant a lot of other complications and just not so great stuff and ileostomy bags. So anybody who's listening knows what that could be. Mm-hmm. So yes, I had to have, um, an ileostomy bag for six months and I had I went to four surgeons to figure out if there was a way that I would not have to live with one the rest of my life they all said no you'd have to it was the fourth surgeon that I met through a physician friend of mine who said maybe there's a way that we won't have to have it that way and Mm -hmm. I said I have nothing to lose but trying it Mm -hmm. was the fourth surgeon I don't give up very easily and I kept pursuing it Mm -hmm. so I said don't tell me if if it's not going to be like I'm a straight shooter here yeah like you can let me know what I'm dealing Mm -hmm. with like I've been through a little bit and he said I wouldn't tell you if I didn't think we could try I said fine okay fine so we did it um 
And what was it, a reconstruction? It was a reconstruction and a removal. It was totally removed. Mm -hmm. And a reconfiguration of something that would be kind of a... uh, a different way because it's all about you know using the restroom now yeah. how do you do that mm-hmm. um funny thing is when i had it i actually was working at uh, channel 10 at the time and i covered the american country music awards in vegas with it on my dress with it underneath my dress i interviewed florida georgia line um um tons of people mm-hmm. uh kelly ballerini um Dan and Shay. I'm trying to think of the big ones. All that the I big country all. stars. Yeah, yeah. All the big country stars on the red carpet wearing my bag. No one knew. What? And I'm kind of excited that I rocked that. Yeah. Um, no one knew. Afterwards, I got back. That's and I'm not like, something okay. you can just squeeze into no. spanks either. No. You know, my goodness. Um, but I did it. I got through it. And then afterwards, we went back and he did some tests and tried to see if we could get through it. If it healed properly, he didn't know if he was creating something that would work. I prayed, and afterwards, it worked. Yay! Yay! It's gone. I'm regular. I have to. I have to eat a lot of bananas. I have to eat a lot of fiber. Um, bananas are my friend, mm-hmm. but um, and some other things. But you know what? I'm on this side of it, and that was two years ago. Wow. So um, I'm here. And I'm that, based on what you said, what that that was like a stage three. Right? Once it spreads, doesn't that make it... Well, that's the problem because it goes into the lymph nodes. Yeah. And depending upon how far in the lymph nodes it goes, that's the staging. Okay. So mine had gone because I did wait. I was too busy. I had no time to go to the doctor. So if my, my takeaway for all you listening is, and I tell people over and over again, if you're a guy, go to the doctor. I know you hate it, but do it. If you're a woman and you see something and I know you're busy with all the schedules, take the time and go to it because what's the worst that can happen Maybe you have something, but you know what? The sooner you get it checked, the sooner you can get it taken care of or looked at or guidance or figuring out what a plan is. Worry can be worse than finding out it's nothing. Yeah, right. It really can. You can mm-hmm. conjure up so many things. Yep. And don't look at the internet because you can be planning something else. So just, you know, if you have something, pay attention as soon as, you, not, not hypochondriac-ish, Right. But, but you know, watch When you're it. noticing that pattern, right. instead of waiting months, maybe watch it for, you know. A few weeks. A, a few week or week. two. Yeah, right. a week or two. And then say, hey, can I, maybe I right. should get this checked. Right. Um, Do it. Because, like you Do said, it. the best case scenario is they say, oh, it's nothing. Right. La-di-da. Exactly. Um, but you're further ahead of the game if it, if, God forbid, it is something. Right. And you can get back to. Because you cannot take care of anybody if you cannot take... I mean, that's one of those trite things that we all say and none of us follow. (laughs) Right. Because we're all great at um, not Mm -hmm. taking care, you know, of ourselves until we have to. Right. And then what happens? The people that we're trying to care for, we're out of the the count. Right. You know, we're we're down for the count and we can't care for them and it winds up being a bigger thing, so... And it did. Mm-hmm. I, I waited. I waited too long to pay attention. Um, mm-hmm. Shame on me. I'm not too important to have paid attention, but I didn't. I thought it's nothing. Well, mm-hmm. I was wrong, and yeah. I'm on, you know, two other ends of the. Okay, now I've learned. So if I could share that with anybody, pay attention, notice things, and it's not only pain. I didn't have any pain at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so just notice something. Something that's different of yeah. your normal. You know your body more than yes. anybody else. Mm-hmm. So. Do the test that you should do. Do the feels. Do the looks. Do the whatevers. Um, do it. Do it. Oh. And then ask a question. Yeah. Don't ignore. 
Maureen, that was such great information, and I'm glad that you were able to um, be here to deliver it to us. You <laughs> Me know? too, thank you. Um, and that you are doing well with, with all that you've been through. And um, again, another one of those things, like it seems to be a pattern with you. No one, no one would ever guess. And on that note, you have no idea what people are going through. Standing in the grocery, going to... You know, wherever you're going to, you have no idea what detour that they might be on that they're not talking about. You don't know um, what they could be doing. And so some of the things that you do now, now you're not in um, TV production anymore, Well, but what you do now is tell us. Well, I, you know, I, I work on my own, you know, helping people take their businesses to the next level um, with media and social media. And I'm kind of like, what about this? And what about that? I have ideas. I just always have ideas. Like. Don't ask me at a table. Do you have any ideas? Because I do. <laughs> but I'm helping a company now publishing with marketing and promotion, working with them, telling people stories. It's a publishing company that has amazing, amazing authors who have such resilient stories, stories that I used to tell in my shows. I love telling the people's stories on the shows. So these are people with stories, with authors. They first have a story, then they become an author because they say, you know what? I've been told I need to tell my story, mm -hmm. so I am. Mm -hmm. So then we not only help them tell their story they tell it but we just guide them then it's marketing it and sharing the stories with other people to make people go oh my goodness I need to do more I need to help more I need to go get checked or I'm gonna clap for you because you made it through holy yeah. cow was it amazing mm -hmm. so it's just awesome working with the people that we work with because everybody has a story everybody has a story they do and when we share them we either educate inform or inspire and sometimes all three like you did today um so when's your book coming out <laughs> i am working on it I am are working. you really good i am, I am. good well you have to we'll have to uh keep up keep us up on that so um how we can uh contact maureen um you can find me on facebook at maureen famiano and then with the now publishing you can look also on facebook for them it's now sc Sam Charlie Press is the Facebook page and um, you can find them on, on Facebook and see the stories we tell and just be inspired by, by all the loveliness that are surrounding us every day. And we will also share those links um, in the description along with, with this podcast so you can look on there as well and search for Maureen and Now Publishing and uh, maybe you've got a story that you want to share. Um, and you can get that out there for other people. If you've been inspired today, maybe you want to um, inform and inspire somebody else. So if you've been waiting for somebody to tell you again to write a book, we're telling you again. <laughs> Here's your <Sheila>. other sign. <laughs> everybody has a story. And, and thank you, Sheila, for your time. And it's great that you're doing this because everybody has a detour. Many people do. And it's how you get through it and how you get to the other side. Yeah, like like our tagline says, you know, you take the detour, the enjoy the wander part is the hard part. And usually that doesn't come until after. Uh, sometimes it's really hard to enjoy the while you're wandering. But if, but, you, if you get through it, then you can wander. Then you and can. And that's beautiful. Yes, absolutely. So thank you again, Maureen, for being with us today. And thank you, listeners, for listening. You can follow, interact, and ask questions about this episode and others on our Facebook page, which is The Detour Podcast, or on Instagram at Sheila Shinsky. To hear more conversations like this one, you can listen to more episodes on Podbean, iTunes, and Stitcher. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe so that you can join us next time we take the detour and enjoy the wander.
Have a wonderful day.